seated. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud. And, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written, for the time is near. We measure all sorts of things in our lives. We measure things like, um, oh, I don't know, time. We measure things like boards. We measure things like nice toss. Oh, I mean great catch. That's what I really meant to say. Because it's not about me. You know, it's about you. Is it? Paul Dooley, Sergeant Dooley, that you're okay. We won't go that. Okay, we measure all sorts of things. We measure our lives by the things that we've accomplished. Nice catch. Oh, you want one back there? Here, I'll try. I gotta think about my release. Oh no, bad, bad, bad. Just a bit outside. Okay, so we measure all these things right in our lives, and here we go. No, I promised Tanya I would never throw tape measures again. You want a tape measure? Here, you can have the smart end. I'll have the stupid end. There we go. Okay, here's one for you. Oh, oh there you catch it. And Paul Ryer, he's really good with those. Okay, so we measure all kinds of things, right? Everything. The things that we measure in our lives, we take a measure of our lives. We measure our successes. We measure our failures. We measure horsepower. Some of us really, really, really love to measure horsepower. Calories, we measure our weight. It can become intoxicating, our need to measure, okay? If you ever run into a couple preachers who are meeting for the first time, one of the first things that will come out of one of their mouths is, how many people were in your church on Sunday? Because we like to measure. Now, because of that, because of the intoxicating nature of measuring things. It's one of the reasons why we don't measure or count the number of people that are here on a Sunday morning. So that when someone comes and says, how many people are in your church on Sunday? I can just say, I don't know. We didn't measure it. And then they look at you like this weird look in your eyes like, why can't you? Well, here's why we don't, right? Because you are God's. You're not mine. You don't belong to me, okay? You are God's. I am God's. It's God's number. It's not our number. You are God's creation, and hopefully you are a child of God's. But you're certainly not a number. But to quote Kami and company on FM 102, I digress. A few years ago, I'm hanging out with my little brother, and he walks up to me with a tape measure about like this. And I didn't know where it was going, right? And he's like, how long have you been standing there? Or in this case, how long have you been sitting there? <laughs> How long have you been sitting there? That's the stupid end if you grab it. So just so you know, here. You're smarter than me. Grab the smart end. There we go. And now I just cracked me up. I'm just like, for goodness sakes alive, that's one of the greatest, silliest jokes of all time. How long have you been sitting there? How long have you been sitting there? To that, I might add, how long are you going to sit there? And some of you might say, well, until I run out of coffee or the coffee runs out of me. But you know, you know that's probably not what I mean. How long are you going to sit there? We measure time by years, by the years we have put in, by the years that we have left. The years early on seem like they never end, and the years later on seem like they end far too soon. And so I ask you, how long are you going to sit there? How long will you sit there? It's a place that you know well, a seat at Timberwood Church 
a place to which we come each week for an hour, a place from which we leave challenged to follow God. And, and to be sure, whatever else you say about Timberwood Church, and, and some of you will say good things and some of you will say not so good things, know that we have been consistent in this. We have encouraged you each and every week to follow God with everything that you have. That has been a consistent theme from day one to the very moment in time that we find ourselves in right now. That challenge has always been offered. But if you're anything like me, sometimes by Sunday afternoon we forget the challenge. And I ask, how long are you going to sit there? Now, to be sure, sitting still can be a powerful spiritual discipline, but I'm not talking about that. How long are you going to sit there, sitting there in that place of inactivity, of hearing but not moving, of wanting but never executing, of mistaking laziness as a value or mistaking busyness as a necessity? How long are you going to sit there thinking that change would not do me any good, replacing responsibility with inactivity, sitting, waiting, but no real intention of movement towards God. What happens after you've lived and died? How long are you going to sit there? Length is one of those questions that that finds its way into the Bible. The people of God cry out frequently, How long, O Lord? And if you might permit me just a little bit of license, I think God might respond back with the exact same words. How long indeed? How long are you going to sit there? Now, we are at the end of the end, but these are not the last words that are spoken. With the canon, the Bible, we readily admit that the gift of the Holy Spirit reminds us and teaches us and comforts us and, yes, convicts us. In short, the Holy Spirit does everything that Jesus did for his first followers. The Holy Spirit continues to be active today for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. We start at the end, page 1041, Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There are some things in life that we know to be true, and the most notable of the things that we know to be true is that you and I were created to live. And absent or prior to the fall, we would live without death. But death became one of those realities of a messed up world, a messed up creation, a creation that actually said no to God. But but even that is not the last word, for the Father had a plan. And some theologically would argue it was an eternal plan. If it's not an eternal plan, it's a plan that's really, 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 really old. 
Because the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was chosen to do something extraordinary. And through the execution of the plan for Jesus to die, creation for those who follow him is redeemed. And it's a plan that allows those who really, really want to live to live forever. You, me, we were created to live. If you've ever had a best day moment of your life, a day that you didn't want to end, a day that was so extraordinary, so filled with good stuff, or even just glimpses thereof, or maybe a life that was filled with a lot of misery and pain, but there was just that one glimmer of hope and it breathed life into your bones in such a significant way, you thought, what in the world? That is amazing. You and I are created to live. And furthermore, we're created to live forever. A reality that is possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. A reality that is possible, living forever, because of Jesus' willingness to die, to be our Savior for those who want to be saved. You were created to live, and I want to know that you should live, that I should live with heaven before you. If you've ever wondered why your body doesn't work like it used to work, if you've ever wondered why it doesn't matter whether you're active or inactive, your body still hurts and so you decide to be active, then you've experienced the power of the fall. Not that your body doesn't work because of something that you've done, although perhaps you have, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's messed up. But yet, we want to live. And because of Jesus, we can. And we can look forward to a day, to the hope that heaven is before us, a place in which there's no more tears, no more frustration, no more pain, no more sickness, no more goodbye. Live with heaven before you. Live with the reality. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ, there is something more than, greater than existence on this earth. Live with heaven before you. Even if the living you're experiencing right now is dark. The challenge in all of that is that as we live with heaven before us, we don't know when exactly that will happen. And so we have to live without knowing. And please, just know that's okay. It's okay to not know something. Flip with me to page 830, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Now, really what we should do is we should redo the book of Revelation, okay, and pair it with the companion passages in which Jesus speaks about the day that the book of Revelation talks about in great um, complexity, in great wonderment, in great, um, well, just 
hugely metaphorical language. Jesus talks about that day. Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You don't know. I don't know. Even Jesus doesn't know. If Jesus doesn't know, one might be willing to make the argument, no one will know. Now, even though this Bible verse is pretty plain and pretty clear, there have been people throughout the history of Christianity who have attempted to say, oh, God's coming back on such and such a day. If you hear that, you could choose to believe them, or maybe you would believe Jesus and say, no, nah, I think you're lying. No one knows. No one knows. Only the Father knows. No one knows. But in the not knowing, there ought to be a sense of urgency. A sense of, even though I don't know, ought I not to prepare this last week, there was a couple articles. Stephen Hawking, the astrophysicist from, from, uh, from England, was talking about the fact that we need to find a new planet to go to within the next hundred years, or we're going to face mass extinction as the human race. And, and, and if that's a little far off for you, then yesterday's Star and Tribune had this article about these individuals who call themselves um, preppers, okay? And preppers um, are individuals who are preparing so are for some catastrophic event. Specifically, the gentleman's name is Brian Corbel. He's 53 years old, lives in Columbia Heights, and he has been preparing for some sort of catastrophic event. And so he has created for himself a little miniature home on wheels, kind of like the tiny houses on HGTV, Okay, so basically it's a, it's a downsized trailer home that you can pull behind a pickup truck. In his case, a 1972 F-100 Ford pickup truck. Why 1972? Well, his pickup truck doesn't have a computer in it, which would re- be rendered useless after a thermonuclear blast. The extra pulse rate. So he's thinking. He's thinking. And obviously, I'm telling this story as a joke at his expense. (laughs) But he's thinking. Now, how you would actually survive the thermonuclear disaster that would be an atomic bomb dropped, I'm not exactly sure. But if you survive that, his Ford F-100 will still start because it doesn't have a computer in it, which is good to know. He's been preparing, okay? So he's got these like pemmican balls that are made out of, out of uh, uh, beef and, and, uh, and nuts and, and peanut butter that have a shelf life of 50 years. 
This guy is ready to go in the event that something bad happens. At the end of the article, he's asked a question and he responds. When I turn 80, 53 right now, when I turn 80, I might turn around and look at all this stuff and I might say, okay, maybe I bought too much. (laughs) But I know I'm going to be able to survive. Now, we can laugh at him, and it's a hobby. It's a thing that he enjoys doing, and if you enjoy doing it, you're not causing any problems. That's fine. I don't have a big problem. It makes for an interesting article. And the note to be prepared is probably something that's a worthwhile note to pursue. But are we preparing for the right reality? Living with heaven before us, but living and not knowing when that will happen ought to create a sense of urgency compounded by the reality that you don't know when, but you can be prepared. The point of Jesus' instruction, be prepared. Live each day with a certainty that you are his, because how long are you going to sit there? Nobody knows. In one breath, you have absolutely no control over how long you will sit there. And in another breath, you have complete control over most of the choices that you make in life. And so I ask, how long are you going to sit there? A friend of mine, Tim and I, we often have this discussion, right? We have this discussion about the dual reality of life, okay? The, the, the sense that, that first off, people are incredibly resilient, Incredibly resilient. People have this ability to exist and to adjust and to transition. And yet in the same breath, human life is so fragile. Like your body temperature. If your body temperature moves less plus or minus than 10%, you're in a lot of trouble. If your weight moves Plus or minus 10%, probably no big deal at all. But your body temperature is an entirely different thing. If you go to 108, it's not a good place to be. And if you're at 88.6, you're awfully chilly. Life is incredibly fragile. And so I ask, how long are you going to sit there? In one breath, you have no control over how long. You honestly do not know whether you have five seconds or five minutes or five hours or five days or five years. You may think you have longer from five seconds, but you don't know. And in the same breath, you have a tremendous amount of control over your life and the choices that you will make and the orientation you will have towards God. You have control over what you will do. I have control over what I will do, how we will act, and who we will be. And will we be prepared as followers of Jesus Christ for the day when he returns? Or will we be wondering what just happened?
1993, Rick Rubin, a rock star producer of rock stars, met a 60-something deeply flawed follower of Christ who would die on September 12, 2003. They would collaborate on five albums, he the producer, the deeply flawed man, the artist. American Four is the second-to-last album. It features a couple of songs. One is a Nine Inch Nails tune, which we hope to do sometime here at Timberwood Church. And for some of you, you're like, wait a second, I'm not quite sure. But grab the video of Hurt with Johnny Cash singing the lead, and it is amazing. It is absolutely breathtaking. The other is a Johnny Cash original, which we want to cover for you today. The, the words to the tune are on the back of your sermon notes. Curious how we use that space, huh? When the man comes around was inspired by a dream that Cash had, and he was in the audience, okay? Not actually in the audience, but in the dream, he was in the audience of the Queen of England. And Queen Elizabeth looks at him and says, Johnny, you are like a thorn tree in the whirlwind. Now, it was not the first dream that Cash ever had. Back in 1967, some 50 years ago from this year, he had this dream. Well, actually, it was a dream that was a, well, it was a pharmaceutically induced stupor and, and not a legal pharmaceutical. And he finds himself in, there was this cave, Nickajack Cave in Tennessee. And what Cash wanted to do was die. And so he crawls into this cave. He's got a headlamp on, battery power is on low. He crawls for two to three hours. Battery light goes out. He's done. He's exhausted. He spreads out on the cave floor, ready to die. Because he just wants life to be over. Because life at that time wasn't worth living. And he has this dream. A dream which revealed to him that God was controlling his pathway, and that God would choose the date of his death, and that it was not today. And so he crawled back out of the cave. At any rate, the song that we do today with the words on the back of the program is kind of Cash's apocalyptic vision of the end of the world. Better said, it would be the book of Revelation put to song. Look at stanza number one. You'll draw from Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Stanza number two, if you want to write these down, you can. Revelation 14, 10, and Revelation 20. Stanza number three, you'll find hints of Revelation chapters 8, chapter 9, chapter 11, then chapter 5, verse 12, Revelation 21.6, Revelation 1.8, and Revelation 22. Stanza number 6, Matthew 25.7, and Acts 26.14. Stanza number 5, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, and Revelation 22. Stanza 6, Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 and 11. The Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see, and I saw, and behold, a white horse. (laughs) 